you're listening to the Way Community Church Lakeland podcast, where our mission is to reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus Christ, that they might become fully devoted followers of Christ. We hope this message from our weekend service encourages you in your walk with the Lord. And now, here's the message. I do feel loved. I am honored. Um, Jason Upton, a long time ago, sang a song. I don't know if you guys know Jason Upton, but he sang a song called The Dying Star. And it really, like, just messed me up. It was about how he, as an artist, had the whole world looking at him, but they couldn't, they couldn't see Jesus. Like, everyone knew you. Like, they knew Jason Upton, but they didn't know Jesus. And so it's kind of funny when, when you come to church and you're a pastor and, like, everyone's like, hey. And I feel like it's about me, but it's, I spend the whole morning praying that it's about Jesus, you know. So, anyways, thank you for all the kind words and love. I really do feel loved. Hey, we're in um, the fourth week, uh, the last week in the series called The Tabernacle, and this is um, a pretty special one. If you're not familiar with The Tabernacle or this is your first week, um, essentially, if you were to, you know, read through the scripture, which I would encourage you to start in the Gospels, don't start in the back, but in, in the book of Genesis, it would start off talking about our forefathers, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. And, um, and then it would move into uh, the, the slavery of the, Egyptian, of the Israelites by the Egyptians and God's great deliverance of them. And as he delivered them through the Red Sea, um, he wanted to be with them at all times so that the people all around the world would know God's love for his people. And so he instructed the Israelites to build him this place that they called the tabernacle. And essentially it was a tent with a tent in it. Now, that's very much oversimplifying it, but there was a lot of golden artifacts that were very, very sacred and had to be handled very um, delicately. Like Teresa was explaining earlier about the holiness of God. I mean, it was, it was, it was wonderful. Anyways, as the Lord would lead his, the people uh, of Israel to their promised land, uh, he would move with them. And the Spirit of God would move, and they would have to know it's time to pack up the tabernacle and, and follow the Lord. And so they would follow the Lord fire by night and cloud by day, and wherever the presence of God would go is where the people of Israel wanted to be. And all of that was, was the case. There was a tent until David came along and decided to build God a house, and that house was super awesome. And uh, we talked about a little bit last week, David decided in his heart, God, I want to build something, I want to build you a place. And, and, and that, that place became special, and God honored him for it, but he said that, David, you actually can't build it, Solomon will. And so this series really is inspired because the Lord has is, is finally blessed our prayer for several years to, that we would have a, a home church. And so if you're new, know that we're trying to save funds right now to, to build, to move about a block away, um, two blocks away into this really glorious uh, place that we're going to be able to call home. And so it's pretty quite special. Anyways, in the book of Psalms, there's a verse that says, unless the Lord builds the house, the people labor in vain. And, and really, that's been the, the, one of the prayers here at church recently is, Lord, we, want, we need you to do this. God, we need you to do this. God, we need you to do this. God, we need you to do this. And, and I don't know what happens in our hearts, but sometimes we're building, we're building, we're building, and we need God, we need God, we need God. And sometimes when it's built, we forget the need for God. And I don't know what it is. There's something in, in, in the heart of man that needs to continue pushing and persevering for a goal. But sometimes when we achieve that goal, it's like we, we cross it off. 
I see it a lot amongst the church. Believers that feel like they've obtained righteousness and now they're good. And they just hit the coast button uh, moving forward. And it's really a terrible thing what happens when things, when we've, we've built our lives in Christ and we get off track, the destruction that happens. And today we're going to talk about the destruction of that tabernacle. It's kind of a crazy, terrible story. But I'm going to start off in, uh, in the Gospels. And so, Pat, can you help me go to Matthew chapter 7? We're going to start off, but not where I was planning on going, but that's where we're going to go. Would you all stand to your feet and uh, for the reading of God's Word? Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, and Jesus would say it this way, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven. And on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We performed many miracles in your name. We even tithed in your name. Uh, but I reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Someone translated that once, who break God's heart. Hmm. Verse 24, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. And though the rain comes in torments and the floodwaters rise and the wind beats against the house, it, will, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. And when the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. When Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. He taught with great authority, quite unlike the teachers of the religious law. Let's pray. Jesus, help. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. I think we're all building something special in our lives. Some of you are building a bank account. Some of you are building a beautiful house. Some of you are building a beautiful yard or a dog house or something cool. We're all building something special. But it's a terrible day when that thing does fall apart. That verse here where he says, when the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. You ever been there when you saw someone's lives just crumble. It's a terrible sight to see. It's a terrible sight to see, to see all the years and all the effort and all the things and all the dreams. When it, when it comes down, it comes down hard, and it's a terrible, terrible day. And Jesus is trying to declare wisdom. Listen to what I'm saying. Listen to what I'm saying. Heed to the narrow path. Like, this is the way. Walk in it. Walk in it. Don't know about it. Don't reference back to it. Do this. I love the word of the Lord. I heard a story, I hope I do justice. A pastor friend of mine uh, was telling me that he went to another, he had lunch with another pastor friend. And he said that uh, as they were talking, his, the pastor told him about this, this wonderful vase that he has, a family heirloom. It's a priceless artifact that's in his office. And after lunch, they went back to that pastor's uh, church and they, he went to his office and he saw this priceless artifact sitting on the shelf. To his surprise, there were cracks all in it, like it had been glued back together. 
the pastor, he said, is this the priceless one? He said, yeah, it's been in my families for years. It's absolutely priceless. He said, it doesn't look very valuable. He said, well, I can assure you it is. It used to be worth thousands of dollars. When I was a kid, me and my brother got into a fight, and we broke it. My dad whooped our butts. He said, it was a terrible, terrible day. So then my dad glued it back together and kept it. And he would tell everyone that came in the house about how priceless it was to him and how it was part of our family and how that, that artifact now is a symbol of our family, broken, that God put it back together. And it's crazy how sometimes God has to bring us to a place in our life where he breaks us in order to find any actual value in it. See, to anyone else looking at it, it was worthless. But to him, it was never going to be sold anyway. It was always going to be a family heirloom. And so now he could see it for what it really is. A lot like his life. I think you need to know that sometimes it takes a crash for you to recognize that you need the Lord. And some of us have convinced ourselves that we're good. He fixed me a long time ago. I'm good. And there's something about knowing that we need God. That we need God, that we need God, that we need God. And Jesus said, like, to use wisdom and to build your house right and, and protect it and use precision in the things that you do and say. Anyways, it reminds me of the great temple in Israel, the tabernacle, you know. Solomon was able to build this thing. And seven generations in of, of kings, things got off track. But man, did they build a glorious temple. They built it high and they built it long and they built it in such a way that Solomon said that people would come from all around the world just to, 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 to look at the glorious home they built for the Lord. And the presence of God was there in a mighty way. It just makes me think of how proud we can be of our homes and the things that you made that special that you made. And you put that there and it's got this great memory on it. Sometimes we forget valuable lessons. Anyways, in this story, if you would go to 2 Kings, there's a lot of stuff that a lot of us don't even read in here. And it's really, really wonderful. But it doesn't sound like it. Ah, here we go. 2 Kings 25. I'm going to read to you about the great fall and tell you why. So on January, and this is Second uh, Kings chapter 25, verse 1. So on January 15th, during the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon led his entire army against Jerusalem. They surrounded the city and built sage ramps against its walls. Jerusalem was kept under siege until the 11th year of King Zedekiah's reign. And by July 18th of the 11th year of Zedekiah's reign, the famine in the city had become so, had become very severe that the last of the food was entirely gone. Then a section of the city wall was broken down and all of the soldiers fled. Since the city was surrounded by Babylonians, they waited for nightfall and they slipped through the gate between the two walls behind the king's garden and headed toward the Jordan Valley. But the Babylonian troops chased the king and caught him on the plains of Jericho, for his men had all deserted him and scattered. 
they took the king of Babylon. Then they took him to the king of Babylon at Riblah, where they pronounced judgment upon Zedekiah. They made Zedekiah watch as they slaughtered his sons. They gouged out his Zedekiah's eyes and bound him in bronze chains and led away, led him away to Babylon. Sounds really terrible. And I had to ask our staff if I can read that. I know there's kids present. But the reality is this is God's word. And there's a lot of things that's terrible that we don't want our kids to see. And I'll bet you, with all of this guy's heart, Zedekiah here, he didn't want to see what he saw. He didn't want his family to see what they saw. And if he had it in his heart, he would have rewound time about maybe a couple weeks, maybe a couple months to prevent this from happening. See, history is something that's important for us to learn from. We're building something really wonderful. And this king tore it apart. On verse 8, on July, on August 14th of that year, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard and an official of the Babylonian king, arrived in Jerusalem. They burned down the temple of the Lord the royal palace, and all of the houses of Jerusalem. They destroyed all of the important buildings in the city. Then he surprised the entire Babylonian empire as they tore down the walls of Jerusalem on every side. Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, then took as exiles the rest of the people who remained in the city, the defectors who had declared their allegiance to the king of Babylon and the rest of the population. But the captain of the guard allowed some of the poorest people to stay behind in Judah to take care of the vineyards and the fields. You know, I'm thankful that our country hasn't seen a war in quite some time. I mean, we've been in war, please understand. I know that there are soldiers that have come back that have seen some terrible things. <clears throat> but our cities haven't seen war on our, on our, in our front yard, like during Pearl Harbor. You know, it's never been in our front yard. But it has been in God's. It's been in Israel's again and again and again. The people of God have made poor choices and saw terrible things happen before them. And it's crazy to know that this was God's house. This was his dwelling place. I mean, how could the Lord let this happen to his home? I mean, the questions that would arise in someone's hearts, right? Almost like the questions that happen in our hearts when things go terribly wrong in our families or in our homes, when people make really poor decisions and the enemy who is a liar, a thief, who came to lie, cheat, and steal, and kill, who came to destroy, who has his way in our families often when we get off of track for what the Lord designed to build. Destruction happens. And what I love, just like the story of that pastor and the priceless artifact, is what I have learned is that in the Lord's kingdom, nothing is wasted. He finds a way to take all of our brokenness and put it back together into something valuable. The scripture says that a broken and contrite spirit, my heart does not despise. It's really in brokenness that the Lord finds value. 
the hardest instruments I believe that the God that God has to build. I used to have this cup, and uh, when we were in master's commission, when I was in college, it was broken, and we glued it back together, and uh, we had it sitting on on our our pastor's desk, and we it was like we'd pour water in this thing and, and it, all this stuff would come out. And it was like in that little artifact, we can see that God wanted to use us. See, in pouring his glory into us, we weren't meant to be containers. We were meant to leak. We weren't meant to just come to church and get filled up and go home. We were meant to take the glory of God with us and use it to be influencers in the city and in amongst the people that we live with. But what happens is when we're so good at just being containers, we actually just are stagnant. It, sometimes it's kind of funny. Uh, Brady gets mad at me because I'll pour a cup of coffee and leave it in multiple places around the church. And, uh, and when, if I don't find it for two or three days or we find the coffee pot from, from last week, you know, there's mold growing in it. And he's like, Pastor Tim, you did it again, man. I'm like, I'm sorry. Not that coffee pot. There was, I have one in my office. And... Uh, and uh, what's crazy is like, it wasn't meant to be stagnant. Like we were always meant to, to release what's there. But we're so good at being containers. Anyways, Israel had built this great house. And I want you to know that there's always symptoms that things are off track. It's like the health in our bodies. You don't instantly just have a heart attack. There's always symptoms that your body is trying to tell you, hey, man, something's not right here. And we're the body. And it's funny how, hmm, I'll get there. Um, so anyways, when I think about the destruction of God's temple, to me, it's super confusing. Like if we were then to turn the page and read the story of Daniel, and we would find out that Daniel then like is one of the greats that was spared and got to serve a wicked king away from their people. But Israel now are slaves again. Like their women and children are slaves. Like their families to somebody else. Like all terrible things happen. And mostly because we got off track. And I think we get off track because we forget that what we were building was something that was special. And it was always meant to be handled with some sort of fear. We should fear the Lord. The holy, sacred temple of God was always handled with precision. We explained a couple of weeks ago that like the people that moved the Ark of the Covenant, they had to shave their whole body and wash themselves and put on like white robes. It was sacred. It was special. And sometimes things that are beautiful and precious just lose their value. And we get off track. And we forget and we begin building other stuff. God, fix our hearts on what truly matters most. Some of you, like, you love your families. And I would just remind you, like, remember when you prayed for that spouse. Remember when you prayed for those kids. Remember when you prayed for that house or that job. Like, we've got to get things back in order. So what went wrong? Well, if you were to go back just a chapter, I'll just read you a couple of the key verses that I want to point out from 2 Kings chapter 24. In verse 3, these disasters happened to Judah because of the Lord's commandment. He had decided to banish Judah from his presence because 
of the many sins of Manasseh, who had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, the Lord would not forgive this. Y'all read that? Yikes. And I just, I, I think that we forget that sin is real and that it greatly offends God. And I don't want to offend the Lord with my life. Like, I'm, I'm still in pursuit of knowing him. I, I want my life to please him. I want to know him more. And anything in my life, I want his light to expose, God, the things that I, I say, do, that, that, don't, that don't bring you glory, that don't bring you honor. I don't want to get to the point where we've built a cool church. We're done something great and we finally arrived. No, 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 no. We're still fixing. We're still broken. And we need your presence, God. We need your presence, Lord. We need your presence, God. We need your presence, Lord. We want you here among us, oh God. You are everything that we want. You are good. You are holy. You are pure. And it says that Judah, their chosen people, was banished from the presence of God. And it says it because uh, of Jerusalem had, had filled, been filled with innocent blood. And I don't know where we are as a nation. I, I'm thankful that I can say these things right now because there's nothing like crazy politically happening. There's no like charge in this. But I, 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 I want to get. I want to rem, constantly remind ourselves, like we have not seen America fall before. I think there's a chance that we can soon. And that'll be really confusing to people when we see because we've only ever been great and strong. But the scripture says like. Like, be careful that you you know pride and all the like like the, no, uh, all right cool. But I do know that our our streets have been filled with innocent blood, and it grieves in my heart. I have to keep going. Why did the temple was it destroyed? In verse nine, it said Jehilochin did what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as his father had done. And then in verse 17, it says, Then the king of Babylon installed Mataniah, Jehilachin's uncle, as the next king. And he changed Mahiatin's name to Zedekiah. What you need to know is that there was a king, and that king did wicked. And so they put another king in because of his wickedness. And he did wickedness. And it was like, where did we go wrong? Like, how was God's chosen people then led by more and more leaders that were making poor decisions? It, it created, like, one of the most terrifying things in the world. I remember when I first became a believer, I never wanted to get married because of how terrifying that would be. I never wanted to have kids because of how terrifying that would be. I never wanted to be a pastor because of how terrifying that would be. And here I am. And I just think to myself, man, like, God, I'm scared of your judgment on my life. 
And I pray that we don't lose that fear because the reality is when we lead, people follow. And if we lead people astray, that's terrible. But we're all influencers. We're all leaders. People are following you. And whether you want to realize it or not, judgment will fall. And when it falls, it falls like a hammer. I think we've got to get back to recognizing that it's good. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and everyone will recognize that there is only one God who gets to decide what is right and wrong. Like, I'm glad that we all have an opinion about what is truth, but the reality at the end of the day is your opinion don't mean much. And judgment will fall on you as it will on our presidents, as it will on our governments, as it will on our generation as it will on our church, and as it will on your home. And so I think it's important that what we prayed for, we get our lives in order. Does this make sense? Because history will repeat itself. Judah, the promised chosen people of Israel, was banished from the presence of God. And it didn't take long before God took his hand off it. That the whole temple collapsed. Everything that the people had fought for and built for, for years and years and years. Jesus said, a wise man builds his house on a rock. A foolish man builds his house in the sand. He said, Many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, look at all the things we did. And he said, but I don't know you. You don't follow me. And I just want to make sure in your life, how do you know you're following right now? Is it because you're attending the church that preaches the word? Let it be because you know the Lord's will for your life today. That you align like, Lord, what would you have me say today? What would you have me do today? What would you have me give today? Where would you want me to be today? The people of Israel lost all their values. They adopted multiple cultures and they forgot who they were. I had a fun message on my birthday, I can tell you that. So 2 Kings chapter 24, verse 18 through 20 says, Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 11 years. His mother was Hamudal, and, which is a terrible name, Hamudal, <laughs> the daughter of Jer- Jer- uh, Jeremiah from Libna. And, and Zedekiah did what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as Je- Jehoiakim had done. And these things happened because of the Lord's anger against the people of Jerusalem and Judah until he finally banished them from his presence and sent them into exile. Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. And this is where we see the fall of Israel. So I just want to take a couple minutes and tell you some things I think is important in our church. Uh, It's having values. So this is our mission statement on our wall. But every week we try to make sure we say our values somewhere in the service. We have four values that we've had since day one, since we started the church over 12 years ago. Number one, uh, well, I'm going to say them out of order for the sake of things, but the word is the most important. And I think it's important that you hear the word in your church. 
And I think it's important that I hear the word in you, you hear it in me, and you teach it to your kids. This is how you know that your home will stand when the word of God, when truth is being read and present. And the scripture says, for the wages of sin is death. So don't be surprised when death shows up at your door. And it comes in different forms. But it's always destruction. It's always dark. It's always divisive. It's always uh, 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 chaotic. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Romans 5.8. Make sure the word of God is read in your homes. Make sense? Second thing is generosity. Uh, we want to make sure that God's people, how do we know some of the values that we're on the right track with the Lord in our lives? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says that God loves a cheerful giver. It's hard to be selfish and corrupt when you love blessing others. And everyone I read about in Scripture that God honored, that had something precious to them, he asked for it. And he didn't ask for some of it. He asked for all of it. Like I think of the widow in, in, in Kings that, that took her oil and, 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 and gave it to Elijah. And he multiplied it. And it was the last. And she said, we're just going to eat and we're going to die. And he multiplied it. And it ended up being more for her family, more and more and more and more. I think about the little boy who had two fish and five loaves of bread. And I'll tell you right now, if I went fishing, I spent the whole day fishing, I caught two fish. I ain't giving it to you. Well, that's maybe why some miracles aren't happening in my life. And that little boy <laughs> took two fish and five loaves of bread that would have only fed his family. And because he gave it to the Lord, he was able to feed thousands of families. What was the miracle? That he caught two fish? Or that he provided for everyone in 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 in, 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 in dinners on me, guys. <laughs> Drinks on me. Go to the you know. I don't know. I, okay, here we go. Keep going. Um, uh, you know, and then I I think of uh, the the lady with the two mites, and it's like Jesus. He's always saying, "Look, that lady gave it all." And in our lives, like when we're holding on to, I can't let go. We're, we're probably building our own kingdom and not building his. Does that make sense? The word, generosity, relationships, I love this. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, if we walk in the light as he... Why am I saying these values? Because I think that values are pillars in our life that make sure that we're supporting something with confidence. And our, our church has values to make sure that if you adopt these principles in your life, your faith will stand the test of time. Relationships. Some people are like, man, I love Jesus. I just don't like any of you. And the problem with that, First John verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 7 says, if we walk in the light, just as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Maybe you don't hear that, but he says that if we walk in the light as God is in the light, we have fellowship. That means we fellowship, and then the word of God purifies us. What isn't happening is those that don't have fellowship, that don't have transparency, that are afraid to live in the light, they seclude themselves. They live in their own palace and they hide from other people. 
And the reality is there's no fellowship because you're not living in the light. You're still hiding your transgressions. You're afraid of other people judging you. The reality is if you get into fellowship, you realize there's a lot of boo-boos in this body. There's a lot of brokenness in this body. And, and the only reason why we're standing together is because the Lord glued us back together. It's really crazy. I don't know, did I say that right? The Lord glued us. I'm sorry. Uh, and the last one is the Holy Spirit. And I, I think of what God is doing amongst the nation right now. And I'm so thankful for these breakouts that started in Ashbury. And as I'm seeing these things happen in college after college after college, I was, I was reading just this week on, on, on one of my feeds, and it was, it was uh, news stories coming out of California. In San Diego, in San Francisco, there are churches that are starting to do marches down their streets, hundreds of people that are just marching that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is alive. There is a hunger coming back to the church. And one of the ways that you can know that the Holy Spirit is alive in you, I believe, is through repentance. I'm telling you, one of the greatest and easiest ways for you to get the Holy Spirit to move in your life is to start recognizing how crappy things are inside of you. And you start, God, I'm so sorry. God, this is so yucky. God, get this out. He starts cleansing. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit is coming in because he's moving, because you're confessing, because you're confessing and he's moving. And it's the easiest way to get a move of God in your church. It's the easiest way to get a move of God in your life is to recognize your shortcomings. One of the biggest problems is when we only recognize everyone else's shortcomings. We read online about all the problems that everyone else is doing wrong. What about me? God, fix me. And all of a sudden, he's moving and he's moving and he's moving and he's moving and we're in love and all of you know he's alive. One of the other ways to find the Holy Spirit to move in your life in, in, in John chapter 4, verse 36, I think it is, he says that, that, that the Father is seeking worshipers. He's looking for worshipers. You want to see the Holy Spirit move in your life? Become a worshiper. Yeah, but I feel uncomfortable. People are looking at me. No, they're not. They're looking at everyone. Those are people that don't know how to worship. What they're looking for is an example. Show them how to worship. With your voice, with your hands, on bended knee. Want to move God in our church? Teach us how to worship. Teach Deb how to worship. Lord knows. Deb and Rachel, they don't know what they're doing at all. Y'all need to get down here and teach us how to worship. That's how we see a move of God. And I want to see a move of God. And I want to know that what we're building has years to come. But it's only going to happen if we start recognizing that some of us are building things that's largely off track. And I don't want to build something that falls. I want to build something that will last. All right, I say all that and say this. I'm out of time. Here we go. Rich, would you come? Is Rich here? Yeah. Yeah. He's like, oh, I'm coming? Yeah, buddy. You're going to play that song we rehearsed earlier. Remember that one? There's another verse that I wanted to read to you that I thought was really beautiful. And I just want to remind you, as this is happening, what, what begins happening to you is the same thing that happened to me this morning. Is you start feeling, ouch, ooh, ah, yeah, he's talking to me. I'm not talking to you. I'm actually talking about the culture in our church. The Holy Spirit is talking to you. 
And that ouch, that ooh, is actually one of the most beautiful things in the world. It means you have a wound. When someone touches a wound, it comes with an ouch. And when God is touching something and there's an ouch, it's actually his way of healing. If you'll let him do it. I remember when Micah broke his arm years ago and the doctor was like, we got to put your arm in the thing here. And they, he was like, no, it hurts when you, and they just kind of moved it real quick for him. It was the best thing they could have done was to let them do it. The Lord's trying to touch some things in your life and you got to let him do it. It's how he heals. It's not condemnation. It's conviction. Conviction is beautiful. Conviction means you're family. Condemnation means you're not. So when the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, 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 let's get some, let's tune some things up, it's beautiful. That means you're his son and you're his daughter. All we want is to honor you, Lord. All we want is to please you. I want to read this verse out of Isaiah 61. And he has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And with it, the day of God's anger against their enemies. But to all who mourn today here in this room, he will give you a crown of beauty for your broken ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, and festive praise instead of despair. And in their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them, and though they have been deserted for many generations. I think about things that I broke, that we broke, and how the Lord, like that guy's father, that guy put it back together and still called it priceless. He's still proud. When you know the Lord's still proud of you, He still loves you. He still wants you. But he is a holy God. Would you do me a favor? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes in this room here today? If you're here today and you know there's some things in your life that's not in order, this is the Lord trying to actually solidify some some things to make them work longer, have longevity. If you're here today with every head bowed and every eye closed, and you know that you've done some things that are wrong, the Lord is dealing with your heart today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If that's you, you'd say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Would you raise your hand? Thank you for joining us at The Way today. Our prayer is that through a relationship with Jesus, you would know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit us online at thewaylakeland.com or by visiting our Facebook page at The Way Lakeland or Instagram page at The Way Church Lakeland.